Welcome to the Parent Driven Development Podcast. I'm Josh Pitts, and I'm here today with Chris Sexton. Hi, I'm Chris, and I'm here today with our guest and friend, uh, Kevin. Hey, how's it going, folks? Great to be with you today. I work for a company called Twilio. We provide APIs for sending and receiving text messages, making and receiving phone calls, doing fax, video, and all manner of different uh, communications things. More specifically, I build something called Twilio Quest, which is a video game themed and soon to be actual video game that teaches you how to use the Twilio API. I've done a few things over the years. I've been a developer evangelist for several years, have been a JavaScript developer and have managed uh, engineering teams but now get to wake up every day and do something super fun for my company, Twilio. So yeah, it's uh, it's been really great. And I have three kids, one of which I've been able to dupe into being excited about programming. And I'm excited to talk about that today. That's awesome. How old are the kids? The kiddos are 12, almost 14, and 8. Okay, so it's actually very similar. I have a 12 and a 10-year-old. Oh, excellent. Apples to apples there. And Josh, how about you? I have an 11-year-old daughter. And I don't know if we mentioned this or not, but the reason we have Kevin with us today, because we're going to be talking about teaching kids to code. Oh, yeah, the topic. That's important. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious about a little bit of your background. How did you wind up in this kind of developer evangelist role uh, in the first place? So I was uh, working for a software company in St. Paul, and I got at that time involved with an open source project that was sponsored by a company out here in uh, San Francisco, where I currently am, but uh, of course I'm based in the Twin Cities. And uh, I got more and more involved in this open source project, and it eventually turned into an offer for a job called Developer Evangelist for a company that's uh, that was called Accelerator. I mean, I didn't know what a Developer Evangelist was. I didn't know that was a thing, but I figured out it was actually pretty great. You get to help developers understand what technology does and inspire folks to try crazy ideas uh, with that technology. So yeah, so I involvement in this project turned into a foray into evangelism. And I've been kind of in that space generally for probably the last 10 years or so. And then at some point, the, the evangelism role turned into stuff where you're teaching kids to code. How did that happen? Teaching has kind of been a, a primary part of like the specific sort of developer outreach I've been involved with. I've done developer training for quite a while and have built out training curriculums for you know, Accelerator and then Twilio. So teaching people how to code and how to use APIs has been a big part of my job. And since I have young kids and generally like spending time with kids, I've taken up a few opportunities here and there uh, to try to teach younger audiences as well. That's awesome. So I guess my question now is, who's harder to teach? Is it the kids or the trained professionals? <laughs> it's definitely the kids, just because my wife is a teacher. And I think the hardest part of her job is that the kids are not always necessarily there because they have an intrinsic passion <laughs> to learn about the topic <laughs> at hand. Uh, especially if you're a language arts teacher, you might have a kid that's not very excited about about writing a paper. But for the most part, the kids are usually pretty motivated. But sometimes you get a mixed bag of maybe some kids were not there of their own volition. And that shows in the passion level. Um, but that's one of the advantages of teaching adults is usually uh, if somebody shows up to get trained on something, they're pretty motivated to make some progress. So with the younger audience, it's definitely more important to keep them engaged, to keep things moving and recognize that attention is at a premium, more so than you might have to with the adults. 
That's awesome. So you already mentioned that you have one kid that is excited about it, but maybe the others aren't. Like, what do you do to get them interested? How do you have them be motivated? That's my question as well. Yes. Yeah, very valid question. So my uh, eight-year-old is just getting to the point now where he's probably computer literate, where coding could be possible. And, and he might actually be pretty into it. But generally speaking, to actually write code um, requires like a lot of work before you can get to something that's sufficiently exciting. So like, um, obviously, if you use Scratch or like the visual programming environments, there's a pretty low barrier to entry. And then there's enough sort of scaffolding where you can make something interesting happen in a short period of time. But actually writing code and figuring out how to do the stuff a developer does takes a degree of dedication. My eldest was kind of into it, but my daughter has made much more progress generally because if something's hard or if something, or if she is told in some way, shape or form that maybe she can't do something or not everybody can do this thing, she immediately has to do that thing, like whatever it is. So she has taken it as a challenge to figure out like, no, I can do this. I can figure out how this works. Her general uh, fire spitting nature has been an asset in having the persistence necessary to really figure out how this stuff works. I just wanted to back up for a second and ask a really, really basic question that my family and friends have asked me when I talk about getting our daughter involved into coding. And I guess that's, what are the benefits for kids? What are the benefits for parents? What is the pitch for getting kids involved into coding? I'm sure you'd probably get different answers, like whoever you ask. But for me, it's a type of literacy in a technology and in a, a field that controls almost every aspect of our modern lives. Like the people who understand what software is, how software works, are building the future that we all inhabit together. So uh, literacy in this space, even if you're not necessarily going to become in the trenches engineer, is going to help you understand the world around you better. So I just feel like even if Grace doesn't end up being an actual professional software engineer, she will understand what this world means and how the systems and software that surround us get built. It feels like something that's part of a, you know, a liberal arts education, actually, which is that's a good way to put it. Yeah. But but yeah, it's, it's a general citizenship literacy skill that I think has value and importance. That's a really fantastic way of thinking about it. I've never really considered because as you mentioned, even though your daughter or sons may not directly get into engineering, there are benefits to understanding how things work. I've heard people criticize sometimes initiatives like Hour of Code or things like that that try to get coding skills into the classroom and in front of kids. And the, one of the criticisms I always hear is, well, not everyone's going to be a software engineer. We don't have hour of open heart surgery or hour of <laughs> nuclear power sure. plant engineer. But those skills seem way more specialized and aren't part of any kind of digital literacy citizenship thing that I think engineering and computer skills in general will be in the future. Yeah, I think it's a lot more generally applicable than people think. One of the reasons I have kind of figured out how to survive in the world of code generally, it's more of a language skill and you can apply it to any kind of domain. You can build banking software, you can make games, you can program robots, you can you know, make a any number of things you can do with code. Writing code is as versatile as writing in English. There's as many applications for what you can do with software as there is for that. So I don't think it's like open heart surgery or anything that's particularly technical or even a trade so much as it is a language skill and a way of 
like a means of expressing yourself and affecting something into existence. So it's uh, it's a pretty general skill that I think is useful without the context of a specific job. That's great. Next time someone complains, I'm going to point out, well, they're learning to write and read, but they're not going to be a writer. So that's fantastic. Absolutely. Did you code much as a kid yourself? No, I messed around with stuff in high school a tiny bit, just because back in those days, like I was trying to build a PC so I could play like the old uh, TIE Fighter game. uh, Of course, yes. uh, Back in the day. (laughs) So I was like, all right, I have to play TIE Fighter. So I have to figure out like how DOS works and like what a boot disk is and like what is all this stuff. Mom and dad had no idea what any of that was. So like I was just trying to figure out how to make this thing work. And so I was kind of into computers and the first like real programming I did, I probably didn't do until college. That was the first programming programming I ever did. So definitely wasn't a wunderkind in that sense, for sure. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the different types of, you know, when we talk about teaching kids to code, and certain things seem to resonate with certain kids. And have you experienced that or directed things with, oh, you like X, Y, and Z, so this is what you need to, to work on. I think Twilio would be a great uh, example. Like, oh, if you want to do things that work with this. <laughs> yeah, I think that that probably generally helps. I haven't been able to like directly map programming to a specific interest. I think that's helpful. I know like the Hour of Code stuff was much more popular with my kids when they had the Minecraft topics and like, sure. other stuff that they were into. But what's been good about using Twilio and having that be part of how my kids are learning to code is that Twilio Act does something in the real world. After you write four lines of code, you can actually make your phone ring and send yourself a text message and something very real and tangible happens after the code. No, absolutely. Like even if they're not way into JavaScript, it's the same reaction that adults have, frankly, like after they make their own phone ring for the first time, like it's, Oh, I can't believe I did that. Like it was kind of, (laughs) it was kind of magical that I managed to make that happen just by pressing enter just now. So that has been really cool. So both Grace and my uh, youngest like to troll me with a Rickroll MP3, like with Tulio, and think it's hilarious doing it over and over again. That is it's because it is hilarious, yeah. Objectively hilarious, that's right. <laughs> yep. And Grace, she uh, helped me demo Twilio uh, two years ago at Hack the Gap, which is a local uh, hackathon. We're go- going back, actually, next weekend. And she was typing up the demo of Twilio at that event and just was laughing the entire time. And nobody understood why she was laughing. But it was because she was about to rickroll like all of the people in attendance that were about to call the number. So, so that yeah, that's been really fun. It, and having something happen in the real world and trying to make something fun out of it. Getting out of that, the sandbox of the like hour of code or scratch where it's just kind of the, the widgets are interacting with each other into a look like the stuff that you sit and type at a computer affects the real world. You can control it is kind of a key moment when, when that light bulb goes off, right? Yeah, totally. And there's another thing that my kids really liked and my oldest did too. I can't remember the name of the node package, but there's a package on NPM that uses the built-in like text-to-speech engine to let you say text that is typed in as a part of the code. So I think anytime that there's a tangible output of the code, that seems to be something that's a recurring theme. It's funny you say that because um, at one point I was working with my 10-year-old and I was, you know what, I'm just going to teach you how to work in a terminal. So we were writing bash scripts that just use the say command and then he could make it say the same word a thousand times and he thought that was the most hilarious thing in the world. He learned how to make files and to edit files and to execute things and change permissions. And we, ha- and we went through all this 
And I was kind of stunned. I, I thought this was going to be kind of a train wreck and wouldn't really work. And then like I kept adding more and more of these details. It didn't seem to phase him at all. He, was, he didn't know how anything worked. So this little bit of information, he took it at face value and ran with it. So I was very happy and surprised that he lacked this context, <laughs> but still did just fine. Yeah. The last time I tried to really teach programming, like I went to a Cascadia JS, which is like a JavaScript conference in the Pacific Northwest, and they had a, a kids coding day essentially, and I did like an introduction to JavaScript, and I was surprised at how kids just didn't really get phased by the fact that like, all right, we're going to download a bunch of stuff. I'm going to show you how it works. They are sort of natively able to absorb complexity, especially if they're sufficiently motivated in a way that was surprising to me. So like by the end of that, kids were able to like, we had everybody use a Visual Studio code and the integrated terminal, and they were executing Node programs. We also had them install uh, Node. And I was very careful to highlight, you're using the same tools I use every day to do my job and writing the same code that I write. This is something real that you're doing. I think what motivated them, too, is that it wasn't baby's first code editor. Like, we're really actually learning something that is meaningful. Yeah, and I think that's a really good distinction. The other part I didn't quite realize was how much baggage that even people that aren't new to code have just with how computers work. <laughs> and you're having to work around that and be conscious of it. And all of a sudden, when you close the window and they're like, what? Oh, you mean you want me to exit out? <laughs> I'm like, sure, I guess click the X. <laughs> ah, this is all stuff that I, I don't even think about. It is a given. <laughs> Yeah, the, the kids are definitely, hate to like feed the cliche, but the code workshop, the kids were definitely more comfortable navigating the tools than the parents who weren't developers. Kevin, can you talk uh, a little bit about some of your recommendations about the actual mechanics, like specific tools or sites or techniques? But I realize it's going to be really different per age of child that we're talking about. So maybe we could start out with just some general guidelines for what you can really expect for very young children versus grade school age children. Right. I think for like the very young kids, the hour of code stuff is actually really great for like the six to eight maybe even older than that group uh, just because you're sort of getting used to assembling instructions largely just speaking from the kids my own kids and the kids that I've worked with Grace when she was 10 11 12 was able to use more advanced stuff um, she was able to make the most hay with browser-based tools so like uh, Twilio has a browser-based editor where you can like execute JavaScript code like on Twilio's infrastructure so she figured out how to use that there's a thing where you could just sort of create an endpoint that would serve up some XML and like that's how you control Twilio calls. So she was able to do that. And now there's Glitch, which didn't exist uh, kind of when we were getting started. I mean, Glitch is great because it's zero configuration. The editor in the browser is okay. And at the end of the day, you're writing real code. And that's been really great. This has been able to grok that. So I think like those are some general tools that have been useful. We briefly did uh, Code Combat, which is a site that you can subscribe to to do like code challenges um, that's more video game themed. So yeah, I mean, I think it will just kind of depend. You can sort of experiment and find stuff that they're into. Um, but I think we've just talked about like the more tangible it is, if you can somehow connect it to a real world outcome, like that's pretty cool. And that's probably why like Lego robots are so popular. And anytime you can connect code to the real world, it seems like that's pretty neat. 
I feel like any discussion of coding and kids is going to eventually bring up the M word. And I mean, Minecraft. Is Minecraft useful for teaching kids coding concepts? I've seen so much press around getting Minecraft into schools as a way to teach kids, but I've been a little unclear as to what exactly, other than general um, computing skills, what exactly a kid can get out of Minecraft. Well, I mean, I think it's a good game to play, certainly. There's been teach your kids to code with Minecraft books and various other bits. That's all great. Maybe I, I don't know of like some of the better ones, but I do know that there's some uh, curriculums where like you try to teach kids to code by like modding Minecraft. I'm sure plenty of kids can do it, but you're kind of thrown in the deep end there. Like you're using right. like writing Java classes, which is not necessarily super intuitive with poorly documented tools and stuff like that. So I don't know. I feel pretty strongly about this in that I think it is a good tool. I have two kids, and one of them is super into Minecraft, and the other one really doesn't care. <laughs> but the one that is super into it, I bought a book that was modding Minecraft for kids, and I reached the exact same conclusion that you had, which is, wait, this isn't helpful. <laughs> this isn't the first step you should take. But I did sit and play and do things with them. And for me and, and a lot of the people that are, are my age, like we all came from Lego, and this is we ended up as software engineers. Uh, I think Minecraft is just Lego for now, and uh, they can build interesting things. And there's you know redstone, and you can wire things up and have levers that make pistons move. And my son put together something. He's like, look, it's got a hidden door. And like when I put a switch here and push the button, the hidden door opens up, and no one else will know that. I'm like, all right, that's really cool. And that totally took a lot of logic and thinking, and also got him more used to the computer and keyboard and the mouse. So I stand by it as as a gateway drug to get them into more technical things. But it's not for every kid. It does work amazingly well for the ones that it clicks with and they get into it. I guess it depends too, like how much, like if your kids are really into video games, maybe it could be a better on-ramp versus if your kids aren't. Like daughter, for example, is extremely into Super Smash Brothers right now. So maybe I can use that as a wedge to get her interested versus something, another child who might not be as interested in video games. It was also helpful because it's a social game where you're interacting with other people, or, or it can be. And so we would play on servers with other families that are on there, and they quickly learn, this is stuff that's cool. This is called griefing, and you don't do it to people because it gets you kicked off the server. And don't you get upset when, when people come and break all your stuff. So I think there's a lot of different levels of uh, nuance that kind of playing Minecraft and working through that world has. And as far as they're going to play video games, that's the one I would pick. <laughs> Kevin, do you have other tools that you think are particularly good at kind of either getting them into just the basic coding or possibly leveling them up from one step to another? And you talked about making the phone ring, or is there anything else that's out there that you think is especially useful for kind of that next step uh, in that journey? Probably not. That would be particularly novel. Like I think after like kind of messing around with some of this stuff, Grace was able to do at that point, start to approach the code academies of the world and start to sort of work through like general programming courses that laid things out in a little bit more of a bite sized manner. The other one that she was actually able to make some decent progress with was Learn Python the Hard Way, which is just a series of tutorials that are fairly basic where you're just typing in very simple Python code, but it involves getting literacy like with Terminal and the basic tools that you need to like execute a program and what's happening and that sort of thing. Yeah, I absolutely uh, second that resource. I think it's fantastic. 
for teaching, and this is just because I built it and I like to use it, but I, I use Twilio Quest, which is the uh, platform that we use to in live training for Twilio when I teach kids too. And it definitely holds true. Adults are irrationally motivated by like earning experience points and uh, virtual items that they can equip <laughs> on Avatar. Oh, um, yes. And kids are definitely the same way. There are definitely some kids that have been at sessions and haven't wanted to leave until they've earned all the experience points and uh, the awards. Those types of rewards and uh, sort of gamifying the process seem to work pretty well too. That brings up a question I had about motivation and how you guide your child once you've found something that your child is interested in taking on coding or introduce your child to something. What's your advice for helping them along? I know if my child came to me and said, Daddy, I want to learn how to code, I'd be like, yay. And then I would freak out and make some crazy syllabus and probably <laughs> overwhelm her. <laughs> Again, I all of this is couched and it depends on your child. But what have been your experiences with being more hands off versus something you said, some kids are motivated by digital achievements? What's kind of your guidance around that? There's no way to make somebody passionate about something. I think the best that you can hope for, and, and I think what has worked in other instances, is if you are excited and you are passionate about something, that will sometimes rub off on the people around you. Um, and I think that's worked to a certain extent with some things uh, with my kids. But I haven't really tried to force the issue too much. Like Grace's interest has kind of ebbed and flowed and sometimes she's wanted to do stuff and sometimes she hasn't. So I haven't tried to push on it too much just because I don't want to be like a little league dad for code necessarily. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yeah. I try to encourage wherever I can and provide the opportunities. And the events have been a big hit. Like I've taken uh, Emmett and Grace, which are my older two, to hackathons. There's an indie game developer. There's a 24-hour, like 48-hour game development contest, which happens every year. Um, we've done that a few times together. They've helped make like pixel art and try to put stuff together for that. So like doing the events, I've been really stoked about that every time that's been an option. But at home, if I find something cool, I will bring it to their attention and sometimes that'll spark a little more interest that which is why i'm not sure if they will end up being engineers but i guess i'm just kind of satisfied with greater than zero literacy in what i think is an important field of knowledge so I don't know if there's anything approaching an answer in there, but the events have been really good. They've really enjoyed going to this. I like you mentioning not being a little league coach. The image of me tearing down my daughter in a pull request immediately popped into my head. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, tabs, not spaces. Spaces, not tabs. Is this trailing white space? You're grounded. Yeah, exactly. Just that's it. No allowance this week. That's a really, really good point. I think as parents, I know, especially if my daughter shows any inkling in interest in something that I am interested and passionate about, I sometimes go completely nuts. And I'm like, oh, oh here you go, honey. Here's all the stuff you could ever want to know about it. Yeah, definitely the temptation. And she's a really smart kid. And I would be very thrilled if she would do something like this, because I just know that the world generally needs more people like her in the industry. But yeah, I mean, I think like to the extent she is excited about it or any of my kids are excited about it, you know, I I have some experience to share. I think I'll keep bringing them to out to the events just because like that, the, the community that we inhabit and it's good for them to kind of be exposed to that, especially like the Hack the Gap event is amazing. Like if you have a daughter like that is a great place to go to watch the demo day and see like what a group of uh, women engineers can produce in that hackathon over the weekend. That's been awesome year in and year out. But yeah, I'll continue to try to gently nudge them in that direction, even if it just produces more literacy. I'll call that a win.
I agree. It totally is a win. So to kind of put you on the spot a little bit, do you have particular success or something where you did find that you had a good win while working with kids, either yours or in a more general teaching setting? Yeah. The thing that I probably most prized professional memory is when we took Grace to her first uh, hackathon, you know, Twilio was sponsoring, you know, I was like, oh, Grace, you should totally do the demo. And she was very excited about that about the prospect of getting to teach a group of, in this case, it would have been adults, like how this API works. I think when she was able to do that uh, demo, it was something very simple, but she was able to teach somebody something and she you know, got the applause afterwards because like the code she wrote on stage ended up working. So like, I can't do that. <laughs> She's already better than all of us. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Yeah, it takes rehearsal, but she was very excited at like at the prospect of being able to do that. That was probably my favorite win is her being so chuffed up about being able to do the demo and teach grown up something about code. That was pretty cool. It's probably my favorite memory of working at Tulio and probably the biggest win in this regard as well. Well, it seems like it has so many wins in there. There's the talking in front of people and talking to adults and you taught them something. And that's all outside of the specific technical things. That's amazing. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really cool. It was, I'm glad that that opportunity existed. And she'll be rocking the mic again in a, in a week, and hopefully we'll be ready. We haven't practiced very much, so we'll have to do that uh, when I get back. That is fantastic. Maybe we can have you back for getting your kids in for a topic on getting your kids into conference speaking. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, that conference is in Wisconsin Dells every summer. They have an entire track where kids present, which is a great place to target if you're interested in that. Uh, we should mention some of these conferences. I know that conference you speak of in Wisconsin Dells, Wisconsin, every summer. It's called That Conference. Yeah, it's a great family-oriented tech event generally, so strongly recommend. And it's not too far, and there's water parks, so everybody wins. It was a fun trip. I took the family out one year, and it was pretty great. Yeah, so I think we want to transition to our last little uh, segment, which is our genius fail bits. And I think we warned you that this is something we do. At this point, we'll talk about, okay, here is an example of something where we had a big win and something successful, or possibly here's an example of something that we did that uh, didn't turn out so well and was a bit of a fail. Like so many of our genius and fails, it really depends on how you look at it. That's going to be my argument strategy to the judge and my spouse. So our daughter has an iPad and she loves it to death. Um, it's actually a hand-me-down iPad that I had and it's not really that old. So it's quite a nice iPad. She loves to consume media on it. She also plays games. She's been experimenting a lot with drawing and playing music on it. So it's just kind of like her go everywhere around the house device. It's easier to haul from room to room than a laptop. It's bigger than a phone screen. It's great. She often just kind of hangs out with it in bed when she has some free time on a weekend. And one particular weekend a couple weeks ago, she had it in bed with her and I think she forgot about it. She kind of just sat it down and this is an ongoing personal item problem where she just sits things down and does not clean up, doesn't move them to where they go, just kind of leaves them sitting everywhere. Manifested usually in a, a trail of her belongings as she gets home from school, from the door to her room. In this particular case, she left her iPad in her bed, and I think she forgot about it. Some covers got put over it. Later on in the day, she jumped onto her bed, oh, no. flopped down. Oh, you know where this is going. <laughs> and she cracked the screen mightily. And I just heard this like, ah, coming from the bedroom. We pulled the patient out. I will say this about iPads. They are extremely resilient. The screen is totally cracked. The metal frame is bent a little bit. There's like spider webbing all over it. 
but it still works. So here's where we get to the genius and fail part. She was very, very upset. We don't have any kind of protection plan on this uh, old device of mine or anything like that. She was assuming we would have to get rid of it or whatever. We weren't too happy that she's not treating her items with respect. What we ended up doing, though, is buying a glass screen protector and putting that glass screen protector on top of the iPad to keep the, and I'm not exaggerating, loose bits of sharp glass (laughs) from cutting her fingers as she swipes across it. So now it's pretty much back to operating conditions. So I call that a genius in that the way I'm spinning it is that I'm teaching her to live with the consequences of her actions. I mean, really teaching her to do that would be taking away the iPad or throwing it away. So she kind of has a crappy iPad now. Where I feel like this is a fail is a friend pointed out to me, they're like, oh, cool, you're training your daughter to live with a cracked iPhone screen. She's going to be one of those people when she grows up, which I don't know how I feel about that. Um, But I'm going to call it a win overall. All right, I'm gonna. I'll go with a quick one here. Uh, I think I had a, a genius moment before where I said I came home and my daughter baked brownies and took one out of the, the pan and left a note saying for y'all enjoy. Last week I was uh, traveling and I found out that when when we got got back home and discovered that she was also hungry, so she decided to make herself pasta. And this is one of these things that I reflected on this. It seemed to- totally normal, but when I stopped and thought, I was like, wait, I don't think I did that until at least my twenties. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> so I'm counting that as a huge win. <laughs> Cooking pasta. And she rolled her eyes and told me it was easy. And I didn't understand why I was making such a big deal about it. But um, taking that as a huge win. That is amazing. Oh, my God. Dinner next. Amazing. I know. I'm like, okay, kid, I'm hungry. <laughs> Where's the spaghetti? <laughs> I would probably point out a similar culinary uh, incident. So like Grace has been obsessed with pancakes for a very <clears throat> long time. So are we all as are all of us. But there was a stretch of a week where like there would be mysterious dishes and messes that would show up in the kitchen. And I assumed it had been my wife that was cooking. But what was happening is Grace was getting up super early, making herself pancakes and then trying but trying poorly to like hide the evidence that she had (laughs) pancakes. I eventually confronted her about this. And it was number one, she didn't know she would be allowed to use the oven, which totally she was not at that time. And she only made enough for herself so she was i didn't want to share so she got up really early made a bunch of pancakes ate them herself and then tried to cover up the evidence afterward (laughs) eating all of it and then poorly cleaning up afterward but now she's in charge of making pancakes and waffles at the house which i do not mind in the slightest i think secret pancakes are fantastic (laughs) yeah (laughs) badly covert pancakes That is is amazing. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insight today. If people want to connect with you online, where can they get a hold of you? Best place is just on the Twitters. People do that. I'm just at Kevin Winery on Twitter. So feel free to reach out. Otherwise, yeah, I'm uh, pretty easy to find around town. I would love to chat more. Perfect. Thanks so much for listening to the Parent Driven Development Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions you'd like us to chat about on the air, you can email us at panel at parentdrivendevelopment.com, or you can find us on Twitter at Parent Driven Development. And if you like what you hear, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash parentdrivendev. And also please rate and like us on iTunes. It really does help the show. Thanks much. Talk to you next time.